0: Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein, you're listening to the Super Revenue Brothers with Raul and Tony. In today's episode, we're talking about planning for CROs, how it's pretty much broken, and what you should be doing instead. Enjoy. All so Raul, right. how, was, how was the weekend after Paccon? Tell me.
1: Man, I was. Uh, Paccon is a, is a rough day. is uh, It's one of the, my favorite days of the year, to be honest. But it really, it it drains you. Like, obviously, there's a lot leading up to it, a lot of work. Uh, I had two events this time, and there's just a lot that needs to be organized. So so that's one thing. But then also the day in itself. It's incredible. There are so many people of all kinds of fashions, founders approaching, uh, people who want to work for Project A, people who need money, uh, people from the ventures you haven't seen in a long time. And we have about 120 portfolio ventures right now. Um, and not all of them are in Berlin anymore. And maybe I haven't been to Hamburg in a year and they come by. So uh, it really feels like a family gathering, but where strangely enough, 80% of the crowd is strangers. Yeah. <laughs> that's the fun part. <laughs> I think I had, I don't want to exaggerate, probably like 25, 30,000 steps that day and 200 people I talked to. Yeah. Uh, and that's just fun, but it also drains it you. I but think how it's... was
0: it for you? It's, it's starting to be my main reason for going to events. So number one is obviously speaking, right? Sure. You know, I want to I speak there. I want to get in front of people. But the other thing is actually this, um, it's, it's like a high school class re- reunification reunification or something like this. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I saw Craig from Columbia Lake Partners the, the first time in like years or something like this in person again. It was just, you know, fun to do that. And then I ran into a couple of former colleagues from like 10 years ago, like in Berlin, I even met someone just on the street. I was getting something to eat before I went to the before I went to the uh, the event, and so I was like, "Hey, Tony!" And it's like in the middle of Berlin, right? Um, and it's just it's just really cool to see people face to face again and uh, and have all of that experience instead of all the you know wonderful online conversations that I otherwise have.
1: So that's your way of saying we're we're old, like we we've done this for a while now, yes. and we we just yes, uh, we've old. been around the block. Yes, we are. I thought you were going to say the reason you go to events is to get your steps in because I thought that was the other thing. I got a lot of steps in that day.
0: Don't care about it. Don't care about (laughs) it. But besides that, so talking about some revenue stuff, what do you want to talk about today, Ro? I think it's the season again.
1: Uh, Mm -hmm. How do the Americans say? It is the season to be planning. Um, And what does that actually mean? And especially, is that even the right way to approach things? Is it even Mm -hmm. more about actually forecasting GTM forecasting, um, I think there's a lot to be unpacked here and, and, and a good way to look at things that is actually not boring at all, but really, we're going to make you money. So Yeah, let's,
0: uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So it uh, was just funny, kind of the, um, you know, leading up to, the, to hitting the record button, Roland and I were like, um, you know, exploring this planning piece a little bit. And, and, oh my God, you know, many people think that planning in and of itself is extremely boring actually, just as a topic to talk about, and and we can talk about, you know, like, hey, it's really important, though, so you really need to kind of think about this really hard. Um, I think if you really boil this all down, um, and this is my my perspective, and you kind of, you know, tell me, tell me what you think. Planning will be owned by finance in many, many cases. Uh, yes, there's a conversation between the CEO and the board and where do you want to go and, you know. How does the company need to look like in order to reach the next milestone and stuff? But everything that comes after that is basically kind of a finance-driven thing, right? And for the CROs of this thing here, I think what's really important is try and get, um, you know, looped into this process as soon as, as possible with finance. You don't want to have just a week's time to kind of say yes and, you know, propose some changes. And then number two, you need to build um, ideally your own, uh, ideally owned, maybe by revenue operations. Bottom up plan. Uh, I I think you have to do this, um, not to sense check or you know look over the shoulder of finance, but just you need to kind of have some comfort in that this plan can actually be executed, not from a spreadsheet perspective, but from a hey I need to I, I actually need to carry this number kind of perspective. And the best way to achieve that is throughout your bottom up planning period.
1: That was fascinating, Tony. But I think for the average person out there, it's probably not very helpful, um, because the the you're, you convince people, I think maybe that uh, that this is something that you should be doing. Um, the thing, and 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 it's, it sounds it all sounds great. The thing that I think really holds people back is is just not knowing how to do it, yeah. Uh, and and what should it sort of feel like? But even beyond that, uh, or uh, under that, um, they don't have the basis for that because I think it takes a lot to do it. And um, and people make it maybe more complex or less complex than it should. Mm. And one thing that I've really seen help, because again, as Project A, what we help a lot of times is execute things. This is really I've understood by now. People think that I'm sort of a fully someone thinks that that I'm an expert at stuff. But that's not even the point really. It's not about being an expert at the topic. Like uh, the, the point is being an expert on how to execute things by now, mm. because the the only way that project A really makes any progress, any any way forward is if we help companies execute things. And so, what I've seen a lot of times is um, this is what's really lacking. It's not that they wouldn't like to plan, it's that they plan the execution, uh, they like the execution of things. And one thing that I've seen really help is thinking in levels. So, maybe let's go by that. Um, Let's think about maybe, okay, you have absolutely no idea for now. And then there is sort of Tony's end vision of how things should be. Let's guide us through the levels of, of planning. Like, what is the, you know, nothing back of a napkin up to high sophistication?
0: Yep. So, number one, what you will be given by the CFO is a revenue number that you need to hit. And you know the number that you are at right now or that you're planning to be by the end of the year, right? Kind of you know those two numbers. That needs to be a starting point. So where are you and ARR by the start of next year? And where does the CFO want you to get there, right? The next thing you need to kind of... The easiest thing is, okay, how much, how much of the revenue that we have signed already uh, will we lose or gain? Right, kind of what is going to come through churn? What is going to come through upsell? Right, kind of that's pretty straightforward. You're going to figure this out real quick. Then number two, what in terms of revenue generation have you been able to do this year? So basically, kind of the year previous to the next year, right? That will give you an understanding on top of, and we call this at GrowBlocks, we actually call that baseline. You know, that gives you your baseline understanding of if you were not to do anything new, anything in addition, you wouldn't hire new people besides backfilling. Uh, You wouldn't add any more, you know, streams on the marketing side. You wouldn't do a new whatever. Um, If everything stays as is, that's where you land, right? So that, for some customers, they basically kind of say that's their C95 plan. This is their confidence level 95% that they're able to hit this plan, right? Because it's basically kind of the exact same thing that they've been doing last year. Some people call this the 100% plan, but I think that's silly. But basically, kind of that's kind of that's the C95. What's going to happen next, though, is the number that you found out here um, will not be the same as where your CFO wants to get you. you know, Now you have a mm-hmm. gap between those two things, right? And that gap will be filled with predominantly two different items. One item is more resources that your CFO has implanted for you. Uh, meaning more salespeople, more outbound folks, uh, maybe more marketing resources. Yeah, that will get you to a certain level. In the best case, and in the companies that you know we work with, kind of that's that's usually then the the, the trick here. In the uh, in most cases, that will get you a little bit higher up, but it will still not actually reach the top down number that the CFO wants to have. So what now needs to happen in that case is either You push back and, you know, have a data-driven conversation with the CFO and say like, hey, listen, um, with all of that stuff that we know we can do, with all of the resources that we get here, and even executing this will still be, you know, building the airplane while it flies kind of scenario, we can only get to here, but you want us to get there. So number one, can we negotiate, take some of that stuff down? Usually what happens, No." You cannot. The CFO, you know, already discussed it with the board. The board is like, I like that number. We're going to shoot for this number. So what's okay. going to happen next is you basically are, from day one, you're going to manage a gap plan. Yeah, So you're going to have a gap between where, you know, the plan actually takes you and where you want to go. And that gap, in many cases, is going to be filled with a couple of bets or a couple of improvements, basically. Things that kind of don't cost money because you don't get more from the CFO but do deliver additional revenue results, right? And those will be things like, okay, we're gonna coach the team to close you know higher ACVs. We're gonna coach the team to kind of convert more uh, from opportunity to one. We're gonna, you know uh, help the SDRs book one meeting more per month per, per rep. We're gonna, you know improve the conversion rate we have somewhere in the marketing funnel. We're gonna help with you know, the cost per lead. Whatever it might be, this is where basically kind of you and the rest of the management team need to go in and like, where can we find that kind of money in this funnel? Uh, and where do we have confidence that we actually can execute this, right? And now you're starting not to talk C95 anymore. You're kind of starting kind of, you know, C80. Suddenly it's only 80% of hitting that number because there's additional risk being put you know, forward. I think it's a good way to kind of not, Not have like, oh, yeah, we will easily hit. I think there needs to be some stress on the system. But equally so, uh, your CFO, your CEO, everyone around the table, they do need to understand that, you know, with a high likelihood we're going to get to this level if we execute just really well. But then there's this other piece on top, which is, you know, the initiatives, the bets, the, the commercial OKRs, whatever you call it, stuff that comes on top that is not proven yet that kind of simply carries a different risk. And I think people need to understand that.
1: Uh, So many things to unpack there. The problem is now that you're just really, really smart about all this. And uh, so it's it's a very coherent thing, right? Um, Now, obviously, this is sort of what Growblocks does as well. So obviously, it's a good thing you're smart Mm -hmm. about this. But let's unpack that a little bit here. And I think really need to, there there was so much in there and so many assumptions Mm -hmm. um, that we sort of have to, to drill down to maybe two or three points, right? So let's talk about the goal setting there. You say the CFO comes with a goal uh, and they just put that on top of you. I think here already, sadly, sometimes reality, uh, I think there is already some steps maybe you can do as a commercial leader before to sort of avoid that. Because Mm. what you're trying to avoid is a disconnect between what's actually possible bottom up uh, versus what's being communicated outside top down. And then you're just sort of knowing that you're playing charade. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, best case is you're proactive about that and best way of being proactive is being solid on on sort of your forecasting and and numbers in a nutshell. Um, So I have seen both cases and I actually have two concrete examples in my mind right now from our portfolio. One where exactly what you said happened. The Mm -hmm. commercial leader was sort of caught off guard by, oh, there was a board meeting and oh, yes, the board meeting was was only in August, but in August already the board decided that this is going to be the goal. And so now they're, okay, oh, I didn't plan for that. I sort of thought that it was going to be next year. So I think here and in the second case is one where actually preemptively the CFO and the CRO have quite an ongoing good relationship mm-hmm. and there's not that disconnect. So the CFO told them before already, hey, look, this is going to be important. Um, I'm just warning you, try to, within the next couple of weeks, sort of get to an understanding of where you're going to be at. And that's what you're targeting at. And um, it's sort of also in your hands. Sometimes, of course, you'll be overwhelmed by the board, but. Uh, I think there's there's more action you can take here than just taking a goal by the CFO.
0: No, I, th- I think so. I, I think you're right. I think there's um, and I've my I've I've changed my opinion on this actually in, in the past year on this. I think there's immense value in top-down planning. By the way, because it has simply a different purpose. The purpose of top-down planning is to figure out how the organization needs to look like in order to get to the next milestone. That's what that plan is for, and kind of how could we finance that. And the reason why they need to know this is because, you know, do we have enough time to even get to this milestone, right? So this is really where this high-level, top-down planning kind of comes in. And and then you have those FPNA folks that suddenly take it all the way down and kind of, you know, go even a little bit further than they should, I feel. But then it comes um, where then really the CRO kind of plays a, a extremely big role is to figure out how to actually get there, right? And not from a, from a product or, or technology side, but, how do we get there from a go-to-market side, right? Uh, and this, this insight is extremely important. Um, but, and this is then where then the management conversation happens, it's like, you know, what overrules what, right? Because I've, what I've also have seen is, yes, you can set stretch targets. Um, and yes, sometimes people hit those stretch targets. And, and you know, that, that was actually a good thing then to kind of go about it in this way. But there always needs to be, and this is important for me, and you kind of almost kind of set this layered approach here, There needs to be clarity on, you know, what can you achieve no matter what? Um, What is a bit of a stretch and what is impossible? And I think you as a CEO, you need to have a conversation, not about the stretch stuff. That's your, you know, sorry, that's your fucking job at the end of the day, kind of to figure out the stretch stuff. Um, But to basically, you know, draw a line in the sense, it's like everything above is impossible. And if we are banking on that revenue to come in, I think we're making a, uh, we're making a mistake. Uh, because that revenue is really important for your cash flow, which is important for, you know, your cash position, which is important for not dying. So, you know, as the CEO, I think those are the things where you kind of need to stand up and kind of put a blocker on. But as long as you're in this stretch zone, I think it's important to communicate the risks around that. But also, um, I believe and I feel, and, you know, when I was CEO, it's kind of the expectation that for you as a high-powered you know, powered executive, to figure out a way to kind of solve those problems, right? And not just say like, well, you know, no, we can only do what we did last year. I think it's your job to figure this out, right? And it's also your job to drive your team to figure this out because many cases you you won't, you know, period. You as a CRO won't. Um, but your VP of marketing might or your VP of sales might or, you know, some other people on the team, your RevOps team might and so forth. Um, and having some of that drive to push you there, I think this is where we do the stretch piece comes in. And I think it's... um. I think it's, I had a conversation with, uh, you know, a prospect kind of CEO of a French, uh, I think 40, 50 million company. Um, and he was, I mean, he's basically kind of a CRO to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. And he was saying with a wonderful French accent that I unfortunately cannot imitate right now. He was saying, you know, the, the finance guy and the CEO, they're going to say this number. I do the bottom up plan, which basically is the number we're going to hit. Uh, but we're not going to choose my number. But you know, it's the number we're going to hit, right? <laughs> and I think to a degree, um, you know, that is that is shitty. That is a shitty setup in an organization, if you will, right? But as, I don't. I don't know. Maybe kind of you're from a VC side and a board side can kind of comment on this oh, because oh, because okay. I can see how it happens. But it's like it's so silly, actually.
1: So. Okay, I'll bring in more personal role than I'll bring in uh, VC and Project A right now, to be honest, because this is—I talk about my pet peeve sometimes, and one of the other things that really makes my blood boil is I think people have no fucking clue what planning is for, and 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 you sort of started on that, but let me let me go further because I think this is really what all of this is about. Hmm. So, if you still think as a CEO, CRO, CFO, the point of a plan is to reach a number, and if it's not, then we rip each other uh, each other's brains out, um, and, and then we, we fire people. You have not understood what the power of that can be. I think what you touched on is getting closer to that. And that's really the the path that I would go on, which is okay. There's different views to that. And the problem with it is that it's all called planning, but there's different, really, there are really different things you can do with it for the CFO. It's part of how do we get, and, and very practically, how do we get money? Right? How much money do we have and how much do we need to make? And, and, and that's sort of the responsibility of the, of the CRO, a CFO, sorry, certainly. Um, for the CEO, it's part of the whole picture. Okay, how do we steer this company and what can the strategy be of the company and what can I allow my strategy to be uh, given the financial constructs, but also how much money we might bring in? And for the CRO, it is, I think, even much more than that. And there are several layers to that. Yes, it's a goal. And it's something to communicate to the team and it's something to strive for but it is much more a tool to grow as as an organization because if you're if you're i mean if you're early stage we're talking you're having but even if you're like let's say series b you're probably going to have a considerable amount of experimentation going on you're probably going to have an early stage definitely um so it's very very hard to reach certain numbers and to reach confidence to a degree in your people, um, but also for the people in themselves, those are all things you have to reach first. So if I, my wonderful job allows me to see, to talk to a company today that's just been founded a month ago, but then tomorrow to talk to a company that's uh, serious, uh, I don't know, serious C or D unicorn. Mm. And you really see how people think differently about these things and how people sort of also have different confidences because you see different timelines on, in one day. And what I see is that a company that's a unicorn that sort of past passed the, the scalable phase and is in the, let's get to efficiency phase. They even down to the, to the youngest salesperson or the, the most inexperienced salesperson, they know their numbers. They know their conversion rates. They know, man, I have to do 17 calls today. I can't talk to you all. I have seven more calls to do, to get, to reach my numbers. Cause I know that this will reach there and that will reach this. And I know that marketing needs me to do that. And, and I know my SLAs and all that stuff. Right. And. It sounds like wonderful for everyone, but then also they're missing out on some experimentation, for example, and they're missing out on some obvious stuff to, to develop further. Whereas if you talk to a founder early on, they're like, someone, please tell me what to do. Like, I have no idea what to do with my life and I'm just communicating numbers to boards. I have no idea what the hell we're doing and we're trying five different channels at once, which is too many probably anyways. And um, I don't even know where we're going. Yeah, Those are completely different contexts. So, if you're planning as a Series A startup, it's completely different context than if you're planning as a Series D startup who's close to a unicorn. But in I both think... cases, it's there to level up your organization.
0: Yeah, I think this is a great way to actually put this. And I actually think we should almost start to, you know, from a go-to-market and a, and a, and a, and a revenue perspective, erase this whole planning thing. You know, I'm, I'm maybe kind of pushing it, you know, one one level further here. So obviously, GrowBlocks just kind of say like, hey, we obviously do bottom-up planning and help you with that. But we actually do something else, um, you know, much better. And, you know, maybe we'll maybe talk about this in a second. But generally speaking, what you've just mentioned there is actually not about let's set the plan. Because why is the plan set? Well, it's because the CFO needs to kind of create a budget, which is signed off by the board, kind of it's a requirement. But you know why? Why does why do those budgets go from Christmas to Christmas all the time? You know who, who cares about that? Why do you have twelve-month visibility in January but zero-month visibility in December? It doesn't make any sense. So really, it needs to be a what I would rather call a rolling forecast. It needs to be a rolling forecast of three, four, five quarters, whatever is kind of the right number for you, and. And the problem is, you know, people think forecasting and then they think sales forecasting. And then they think like, well, my sales forecast only goes on to the end of this quarter. So uh, so I can't use that. And and I would say, yeah, you're totally right. Um, and this is where, and this is, again, this kind of a grow thing. This is where go-to-market forecasting comes in, right? Instead of looking at this always as a, as a planning chore that is really kind of done by finance, you as a CRO, you as a RevOps team, Need to actually see it as a go-to-market-wide rolling forecast that is, you know, giving you that visibility that you need, um, and giving it, you know, not from a top-down perspective to optimize for, to some degree, um, you know, you know, some goals that the board wants to kind of give you, but to basically have visibility from the bottom up on, you know, what needs to happen on what stage, and much more importantly, and this is a major downside of planning, kind of especially budgeting. When you figure out, and this goes for small and big, when you figure out that one of your bets is failing, then you need to have the ability to change plans because you will do that. You will change what you want to do because you realize now, okay, it's April. We have new information. This thing totally fucking failed. There's no reason to keep doing it there. You know what we need need to do. We need to switch things around. Are you going to go to the CFO, open at the budget, change everything there? No, he's going to say, no, thank you very much. I'm not going to go through that hell now. Uh, I'm just going to leave as it is. What you know on the, on the commercial side need to have, you need to have a forecast that, you know, basically kind of incorporates that new learning, incorporates the, the most recent kind of data that you also have to give you the best path forward. right? And at the end of the day, what users CRO need to discuss with the CFO is not how you got to this revenue number, it's whether or not you're going to get there. Uh, and basically, kind of, if you have new learnings that you know basically didn't work out, and you come up with something else, and you still get the organization to that revenue number, you and the CFO will be best friends. But what the CFO will never want to do, well, never is maybe a big word. Open up the budget mid-year, you know, do all kinds of replanning purposes, you know, and you know maybe a reforecast or something like this. That will be difficult. But if you approach it from like, hey, my bottom-up rolling go-to-market forecast is telling me X. There's a problem coming up, dear CFO. We maybe need to move some budget around. Here's the explanation why. I think it's, it's a much more useful tool and way to kind of navigate your, your, your team uh, than to think about it as a planning thing, which basically kind of almost is to your point, role.
1: And you mentioned something else there, which leads me to another one of my, really makes my blood boil point. Um, I really think there's so many things that we just do and we never think about and, mm-hmm. and, and we do with such confidence that you could really call it also ignorance, and one of them to me is this uh, quarterly thinking mm-hmm. point. Anyways, and you basically said the the, the solution to that, which is, um, it is vastly superior, and I will fight anyone on a on a microphone battle uh, that is vastly superior to think on a rolling basis than to think Q one, Q two, Q three, through four. And if you've ever been actually part of a Q four storm and Funnily enough, January for me is always funny because like everything's so different January. Mm. We call that the Q4 hang- hangover month. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's wild what kind of damage is being done in companies in the end of quarter runs. Yeah. The attrition in people, unnecessary attrition. Like it's not like you're saying, oh, we're making money and therefore we're losing people. Yes, 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 yes. People are running and you're making more money in that last ooh, couple of weeks or so. Yes, that's true. But if you were to work actually in a smart way, you would have made more money if you had sp- just spread around the whole month. And that's why, that's, but that's the, that's the crazy part about it. And that's why I think it perpetuates itself. People just have all these heroics and all these stories of last week and we closed this and we closed that and whatever. Um, and, and that's why they keep it where they don't know that they could have done that throughout the entire mm-hmm. year. Now, there's some merit to it because uh, on the customer side, budgets also play a role and yeah. when budgets are spent and all that. So I won't, I won't, I won't say that that doesn't happen. But it will be so much easier for you to actually achieve what you're trying to say, which is, okay, um, let's actually have a, a rolling forecast, which all the time takes into account new information, kicks out old information, and corrects itself. Yeah. And even one more thing, which I think is actually the most important, because, okay, whatever the other stuff is hysterical, you like it, you don't, here's where you're going to make more money that way in the long term, even in the midterm, if you go away from the Q4, Q1, whatever planning. We talked about this in an old episode, SDR versus full cycle, right? And and one of your arguments was that, well, the problem is if you're a full cycle person is that you're always going to oscillate between uh, putting in new accounts and closing old accounts. And that same logic applies to a year where you're having Q4s as the end target. And basically the point here is, is the way that companies who put a lot of emphasis on like Q4 and especially end of Q4 is that they're always going to push all the closing activities and all the... Uh, sort of down lower funnel activities to the uh, end of the year or to, into the end of the quarter and all the input activities uh, at another point. Now, this is exactly not the best way to do it. Ideally, you would achieve a state where you have sort of osmosis between both states. Yeah. And uh, this is actually, funnily enough, I have some companies in mind that are sort of smaller and more agile that work exactly that way that achieve that. And your funnel is going to be much smoother that way.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. So so this so i never had that kind of thinking by the way but that that thinking hit me like a brick when we were acquired by a public company and suddenly right. you know the cfo were kind of was like worrying about and kind of all of those all of those words that were never thrown around in in the company i was working at and basically the point was because we understood the go to market engine so well right and we educated everyone on this and this was all great the point became that then this the top the top CFO, you know, that sat on those analyst quarterly calls. He was basically saying, wait a minute. So, you really what you're saying is all of the investments in top funnel second half of the year will have zero impact on that year. And I was like, yeah, exactly. You got it. And he's like, great. That means we're going to cut all of that stuff out <laughs> <laughs> because, because <laughs> then we can actually optimize, you know, the avatar of that year. And yeah, who cares about fucking next year, right? And yeah. that kind of that kind of choppiness was almost being, you know, introduced through that. And it's it's so funny that it's almost the flip side. Once people understand how this thing actually works, then, then you know this is how it's being abused, right? However, I believe, and I believe this as a CEO, I believe this is a CRO, um, there is some really nice thing to the urgency that like a quarter end drives. I think it's nice. I think as a RevOps person, it's completely silly. Kind of, what what does that really make a difference? Whether or not you close someone on December thirty first on the first of January, what what fundamental difference does it make for the organization? Please explain it to me. You know, whether or not that cash lands one day later or earlier, no no fucking difference, my friend. Right, and um, and so I think there's kind of uh, two two for here. One, it's great for urgency, but number two, it's not great for burning pipeline because. You know, that's that's the reason why Q1 usually looks shit is you you push like hell in Q4. You don't only burn out your own people. You also burn mm. the pipeline that you have. You're going to slash discounts. You're going to keep pushing and call them one day before New Year's. Um, and you're going to piss a couple of people off, by the way. And, you know, that's basically revenue that you now lost that you could have, you know, potentially easier closed or better closed in Q1 instead, right? I think this is where some of this actually comes from. And then number two... Not having this foresight in Q4 that you're not only optimizing for Q4, but you need to start thinking about Q1, Q2, Q3. And everyone, you know, when I sit with the CRO on the uh, on the call, it's like, "Hey, Tony, no one really cares about next quarter." And I'm like, "Exactly. That's why. That's that's the reason why you keep missing." By the way, you kind know, of, if you have this tunnel vision, end of this quarter, that's what I need to achieve. And then you, rope in marketing, you rope in CS, everyone is focusing on this quarter. But guess what? You have a three-month sales cycle. You know, roping any any of those resources in will have basically zero impact. So what you should be doing as a responsible CRO, focus the resource that can have an impact on this quarter, on this quarter, and have the other resources, you know, work on where they can impact stuff, which is, by the way, next quarter. Yes, it might lead to you missing this target but it will also lead to you setting yourself up for actually starting to hit going forward, right? And I think this is where this rolling aspect, this rolling go-to-market forecasting comes in. um, That is just fundamentally, you could even, sorry, I'm on a roll here, Raul, but you could even go so far that that like sales forecasting, kind of that tunnel vision you get from sales forecasting, which is exasperated by all the tools around it and obviously the commission and the urgency, that that is actually one of the reasons why you see choppy quarterly results because you're basically burning the boats all the time for this one quarter and then you arrive at the next island and like, oh fuck, you know, now yeah. we need to start from scratch. And you know, in, instead of having this tunnel vision, I think you need to use sales forecasting as a great coaching tool. By the way, it's fantastic for that, for the sales rep. But you need to kind of find something else to have, you know, ongoing revenue consistency, which I believe is go-to-market forecasting instead.
1: Yeah. And no, no I, I wouldn't stop you at all. I think really this is a one of those classics where even startups who always think they know better and they they develop everything and they do everything new, people are just doing this, the, the things as they've always been done. Yeah, They're not questioning them. And they're not understanding that the impact that this has, like the impact on people, burnout, your revenue, top line, you're losing money, you're losing people. I cannot say it more clear than that. And and you're just doing it without even thinking about it. And it's yeah. it's not like you don't have to change the entire world. Um, so I think this is, and if, if I were, I think if you and me, we had sort of an outbound agency right now, that's sort of the lead generation agency, mm. Q4 is probably the worst kind of quarter for us. Like nobody is going to do top of funnel activity in Q4. Yes. Um, and Q1, we, we don't know what to do anymore, right? So uh, we can probably see this in the market too.
0: One, one practical tip for every CRO listening um, and uh, also facing this Q4 quality of life, we called it, uh, issue Is um, so what we did, we aligned ourselves with the Salesforce uh, financial year, fiscal year, Hmm. and the quarters, which is basically ending in the end of January. So, what do you get from that? Uh, You know, basically, not, you know, there's not more revenue suddenly coming out. But what you get from that is quality of life for your reps to kind of have time for Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's and all of that stuff that happens in the end of December. Um, And number two, you tap into, you know, lose it or use it budget cycles that end in December and the new budget cycles opening in January. So you kind of, you don't have this crazy push actually. Um, And, um, and, you know, there's some, some other upsides to this thing actually kind of to, to align it like this. Um, Your CFO is going to hate you uh, because it's, it's basically going to mess up a lot of different things. Uh, But we, we did that actually on the commercial side and was pretty successful for us.
1: So talk to us, uh, about you just said something before in a, in a cheek kind of way, but I know that there's there's more to that. Talk to us about the GTM forecasting thing and what is that even? What is go to market forecasting? And it's sort of a term that I wouldn't say I've had I've heard anybody else use like
0: that. Yeah. So go to market forecasting. Think about it. You know, it's it is like sales forecasting, uh, but instead of focusing on everything that's an active pay- pipeline and towards the end of the quarter and focus around the wrap and the deal it's basically zooming out and looking at the, at the full go-to-market funnel, right? So why is this necessary? I think 20 years ago, you had basically every single dollar of every company uh, going through a sales process, every B2B company going through a sales process and therefore a sales forecast, right? Um, what happened since then is that marketing is not only delivering leads anymore, they're delivering revenue, right? So you can't just you know, neglect that fact. What happened as well is that you suddenly have uh, two funnels. You have the acquisition funnel and then you have the retention funnel, right? That isn't going through your sales forecasting in many cases. And then number three, you're starting to see buyers being uh, more opinionated how they want to buy. So this is where those e-commerce like motions like PLG came up where basically um, they're circumventing the sales rep in many cases, right? So if you go from a world of 100% of my revenue went through the sales forecast to give you predictability and understanding how my revenue is going to land, you are now at a, I don't know, 30% or something like that. You know, lots of stuff happens on the customer side, lots of responsibilities carried from the marketing side. And then you have the PLG motion that basically kind of goes outside of that, right? If you're only relying on sales forecasting, not kind of taking the whole picture into account, you will basically kind of run into these choppy quarterly results and you will hit and miss and hit and miss and hit and miss and so forth. If you zoom out, though, if you look at the whole thing you know, fully tied together, uh, what you will get is uh, instead of focusing on the wrap, you're going to focus on one level up, meaning performance of a segment, performance of a channel, performance of a team, performance of an initiative. Right? You will be able to look not just in this quarter, but multiple quarters out. Whether that's four or five or six or 20, it doesn't actually matter. Um, and you will be able to run through different scenarios. You know, you, have that, you have, don't have that ability in sales forecasting, but in go-to-market forecasting, because of the, the modeling that sits behind it, you actually can see different scenarios. Now, why should you care? Why, why is that interesting? Well, number one, it allows you to figure out where, where which team should be spending their time the most, right? Because you basically can see that the revenue impact of what marketing is doing is not going to land in this quarter, so they should be focusing on next quarter, Right. And then number two, you simply won't get surprised anymore, right? Kind of you see things coming up long term, which then basically means you and the rest of the team, you have actually time to take action and fix stuff, right? When you, when you look at your sales forecasting, the second something tells you that something is going off in your sales forecasting, you can literally not do anything about this. You can be lucky maybe with a deal or so, but you cannot do anything systemically about this. Uh, go to market forecasting, you have like, you know, six months, three months time before something is really impacting revenue. You already see red lights going up and you're like, okay, something is wrong here. We need to jump on this. Uh, and then you actually have time to react and time to fix, right? And and the ultimate outcome of this is you go from choppy quarterly results where everyone's like, ah, oh, the sales team was lazy. That's why we didn't hit. You go from that reality to a new reality, which is uh, you know having predictability seeing consistency in your revenue um, and if you don't see that consistent you at least know exactly what you need to tackle in order to achieve it
1: yeah I wonder how far it should go out though uh, so should you even go up to I mean marketing yes uh, brand maybe even products uh, like there, there's sort of a limit to that mm. um, so I think that maybe that's a different topic but one more thing is, is maybe can we can also sort of close it out uh, yeah. a- around there is Um, so in my very first job as I was, I think, director sales operations and business development or something like that, it was called, um, but, but basically my role was, I was sitting right in the sales pit between 20 salespeople. And I told you about the sweat and screaming and and all that stuff and all Mm. everything. And I was getting a lot of frustrations and just for you to, to, know what that really feels like is, so what was happening, um, around this topic planning is that we had this very rigid planning by the CFO that was uh, end of quarter, end of the year. And then like everyone is just being drained out of their the last effort they can do. And emotionally, people were, were really, this was one of the reasons people left that company. And, 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 and it was the, the fact that was people were really motivated, really motivated, one of the most motivated teams I had seen. They were really into it. They were working really hard, not seeing kids, not everything, every day. Mm. And then things were not happening. So, for example, we had missed our our hiring targets or, or marketing wasn't delivering leads or we had overestimated conversion rate and the CFO wouldn't budge from the goal. And so basically what he would tell us, even the CFO actually would be like, okay, just work harder. Mm-hmm. People were like, okay, I'm already working my ass off, man. Like, what am I supposed to do? Just do whatever you're doing, but harder. You cannot imagine. And I have these particular two, three people in mind. It broke my heart, man. Like the... the those were the most motivated people in those companies who they immediately lost by, by that, that kind of communication. Because if you have no other answer, rather than, okay, run faster, but I've been running fast, okay, run even faster, that's how you lose people. And, yeah, and but maybe also, not this quarter, but next quarter.
0: It's also shitty leadership and a you know, shitty, shitty way to approach this problem, but I think it stems from, what's the reason? It stems from an inability to understand how they actually generate revenue um, yeah. And then, you know, the CFO probably would have realized that, you know, anyone running harder actually isn't solving the problem. It's something else somewhere else, right? And um, yeah. uh, and I think that understanding is um, is something that can be, you know, helped by technology these days, actually, to a degree, right? But let's... Maybe cut it here, Raul. I mean, this was um, this was a bit of a roller coaster going from you know planning and how it's boring and how it should be done to uh, go to market forecasting and how not to burn out all of your people in the process. Um, I hope I hope uh, you know everyone enjoyed it and got something tangible out of this uh, out of this podcast.
1: Yeah, and right from the master of planning and forecasting. Enjoy. There you go. So,
0: thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Have a really good one. Thank you, Raul. Thank you, everyone.